Hello and welcome to the Nightcap Film Club with me, Simon Alexander, podcaster and daytime cooking show contestant. And I'm sat at home in my little office, a very hot day, uh, as is Paul Foster, who's at his house. How are you doing, mate? Not bad. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah. Good, thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, return Always. of Chef's Table today, which is rather good. Do you know what? I, I actually did it differently this time. I watched it in the morning. Uh, okay. Normally, because like film club, you associate with like, you know, late night, get the popcorn out. Yeah. But this, especially this episode, there was something sort of like early morning meditative about this. Do you know okay. what I mean by that? Like, well, it's a very like meditative it, episode, yeah. Exactly. Just like the shots and the beauty of it. And I was actually like, do you know what? I'm really glad I saved this for the morning. I think this is, ah, this is fitting nice. nicely. Yeah, I watched um, it last night. Uh, I'd just yeah. done a massive bike ride and uh, I was pretty tired. But it, yeah, it man- I managed to keep away from it. But it was meditative and it was just so soothing. The music, the scenes, I could feel. I was yeah. feeling a bit sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> How was your bike ride? Did you knock it out? Oh, good. Park? Yeah, it's good. The nights are just starting to draw in a bit now. Cause I used to like get the kids down and I'd just go out at like sort of yeah. half seven, eight, and you know, could be out till half nine. But it, I ain't got lights on my bike. It's getting a bit dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's scary. I hate it when it starts doing that. That dip after mid June, where it just starts getting a bit darker in the evenings. That, that'll yeah. kill you. Um, yeah, so Favakin, last episode of series one of Chef's Table is what we're reviewing today. And like like we said, I think like it was just one of those episodes that you feel really peaceful watching it because it's just so tranquil and out in the middle of nowhere. Um, just for those who may be listening that haven't seen it, um, Favakin uh, is in Sweden, sort of in the in the middle of nowhere, and that is not an under that is not like an understatement, is it? It is oh, actually it's... in the middle of nowhere crazy crazy how how far away it is um do we know yeah. what the journey would be to get there like if we decided we were going tomorrow what would we be uh, doing I, sh- I should have looked it up but i remember from people i know that have gone it's like you're gonna get a plane into sweden and then you've got to hire a car and you've got to drive for hours and hours really? and you're just in the middle of nowhere just to get there through like fjords and things like that it's yeah. just yeah treacherous real... like it's yeah. not like a a, a peaceful drive like no, it looks it but it looks like you could if you went over 30 miles an hour around a bend you're gone yeah like it was... yeah <laughs> yeah it's not like just heading up the m1 no exactly and, and the other thing was whilst i understand that all of the people that work there and like some of the food critics who they sort of cleverly get to narrate what's going on in chef's table kept saying how magical it was also looked a bit terrifying yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, it's a magical place. It looks fucking terrible. Like if I was, if you, do you know what I mean? It's literally in the middle of nowhere. This like dark little. It was. It was like I get the magic, but I also get that this is pretty scary to be out in the middle of. It. Like you're off the grid here. Yeah, there's not lampposts and all that around everywhere, is there? And it's <laughs> no. you know not many people around. And then uh, it'd be one of those places where it's just there's no light pollution, so you see all the stars. So it's beautiful. Yeah. But. Also, you know, if you're in your house and you hear something or someone, then you can just shoot yourself because that just doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what are your sort of, uh, what's your take on um, on Magnus and, and his setup there? What what do you make of it? I just think, I think it it's without a doubt, uh, it's one of the most unique restaurants there is, and it's yeah. to- totally in fitting with its surroundings. And I just, what I love about it, even though I've not eaten there. Um, it just there is zero restrictions, like zero, a- apart from the food which writes his menu, which is there. I don't see that restriction. I see that as quite freeing. But yeah. restrictions in terms of he's not involved in the rat race. He's not dictated to by um, trends or you know 
customers or offers of a restaurant to do down the road or a theatre or or <laughs> yeah. there's nothing yeah. that dictates what they do other than them and That's a great the food point. they have I to even offer of that but you're so right it's like it's pure because he's so off grid that he almost he doesn't have to worry or care about things around him and what everyone else is doing because it just doesn't matter there is nothing yeah he, life you know if you've got a high street restaurant you know we're very free in what we do compared to most high street restaurants you know we essentially have one menu it's a tasting menu but there's still you, you still can't go too off piece because of, yeah. of of where we are but if you are out in the middle of nowhere people are making such a massive effort to come to you so yeah. the power is with you with what you have it's not you're not worrying about footfall people coming through your door and you've got to grab them in at a certain price point or yeah. you know, a certain style of food it, it is such a unique but incredible way of working and i i absolutely love for restaurants just the the idea you know i hate choice in restaurants too much choice yeah and just the idea you can just go and yeah. you're having the best of what there. they offer that's yeah. it yeah, i'm just going right. to come i'm going to enjoy myself there might be 15 courses i might not personally like one or two but that's just me personally if it's cheese or something <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's them it's their passion and and yeah. what they want to serve that and that's it i don't want to go in there and choosing and, and worrying just just feed me just <laughs> you can't just, just true hospitality exactly you can't imagine sitting down at a place like that and looking around every all, all of the people at your table going so should we do starters everyone up for a starter yeah. no well i might have a pudding so i might leave the starter do you know what i mean like, that <laughs> is that is a billion years away from what they're doing yeah but you're not you're not going all that way and not going all out oh yeah 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 exactly you've you've, you've committed but also on the, on the same vein i think someone brings it up later in the show I, it might have been magnus but he was basically like it can't be bad. We cannot serve them bad quality or it cannot be anything less than perfect. Not just because of standards, but because they won't come back. <laughs> because yeah. it's just not... Do you know what I mean? Like, if, like maybe if we went to Salt and you served something that was, oh shit, that wasn't... Bri-, but they could come back in a month because it's just down the road. Like yeah. imagine if someone... If you fucked it there, you know, I'm not... Oh, do you know what? I probably won't spend six hours hiring a car to come back here. So yeah, there's exactly. an added pressure of re- like the expectation, the journey people have come on. Expectations are that is a lot to live up to. That is, it is, it is. Yeah, definitely. You're right. <laughs> You're right because you know. Yeah, I, I imagine. I imagine they had a few wealthy people go back. But oh yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah, you've got to make that one experience. Is it, and you would remember everything about it as well. Like, I mean, how many times have you eaten at Salt? Ooh. Five or six times, I think. Yeah, and yeah. then all because, and then you've been there a lot for us for meetings and podcasts and things. So they all kind yeah. of merge into just yeah, a few experiences. You, yeah. you go there once, you remember everything about it, don't you? So, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Not... You're so right, and mm. that, it's sort of a, it's a bit, it's sort of a double edged sword because I remember saying to Haley actually when I think we'd I'd come to you a few times, quite like within a few months for various occasions, and we were recording the podcast, and obviously i was excited because it's a real treat to spend that money on food that's amazing but at the same time i was a little bit like oh this is becoming a bit normal coming here yeah because because we're here to do the podcast and because we've come a few times like i want to spread it out so that it's like less is more (laughs) do you know what i mean it's like it means even more to you if you can spread it out and i suppose that you know fabrican's never going to be in danger of that is it totally agree i totally agree with you 
What about the food, mate? What do you make of his style of food? Is it is it? I guess it is unique, but like the techniques and the sort of the gadgets we get glimpses of in the kitchen. What do you make of them? I I love it. I just love there's a real naturalness about it, and it's um, yeah. He was the first one. You hear a lot about it now. The first one, to my knowledge, who was you know serving the aged dairy cow. You know, like cows in this country generally the shitter ones are slaughtered about 18 months the better ones a bit older but you know the wagyu we get is like three years the wagyu and that's old and that's big these dairy cows go upwards of 10 years yeah um so the fat build up and the the muscle and the marbling and the the flavor because of all the food they've had is just just next level no one was doing that to my knowledge before magnus does it take more understanding and knowledge to handle beef of that age oh it would because you know it's precious it's more expensive it's right. you've got to treat your respect because that animal is not just being churned for a factory where there's bloody loads of them is it yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that's probably 12 13 years old maybe something like that so you know it's a lot bigger obviously the, breaking it down the anatomy but you know they they approach it with very traditional cooking techniques like over coal or just just roasting in a pan slowly yeah, yeah. um you, and you just look at the product, that fat, how yellow the oh, fat I've was. Wrote, I wrote down, this is a note I've got written down in capitals. It just says, that fat. Mm, That's not all God, it says. Yeah. <laughs> it just says, that, that fat. fat. <laughs> but it was, and I think, because um, I, I remember t- I sort of looked at Hayley and I was like, look at that beef. And then I think I, I was imagining, well, if that was, if there's, if anyone said, here's a picture of the best beef in the world, this was probably what it looked like. Mm. But it's also, I think why that is the case is because you know and see him in the fields and talking about the cat like he knows cows better than the cows know themselves like he oh, knows yeah. everything there is to know and what he does is that classic thing of what he doesn't know about them isn't worth knowing and knowing that that brain is going into what you're then looking at on the plate is that i think that makes it all that journey and that understanding that this is in the best hands possible makes it surely taste even better because you know it it's exactly exactly and you you know how good an ingredient it is because he just puts two things on the plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, know. You so... wouldn't have seen that when I started cooking. It was no. like more technique, complicated, more technique, technique, technique with Garnishes, good ingredients. With everything. Complications and fucking yeah. too much stress and like two beautiful things. Like same with a crab. He's got that beautiful yeah. crab leg and then just the, the burnt cream. And so many of his dishes, it's just couple of beautiful things like well executed there's a lot of work on them, but and there's little hidden things in there but that's it boom and that's supreme confidence in your ingredient it really is and like and i hope people don't ever misconstrue misconstrue that as arrogance um oh but, yeah yeah you know it's it's just a pure it's like purity isn't it it's like i remember we had a conversation with brad carter on one of our first ever episodes do you remember and he yeah. was saying that it took him a lot of it was like the first time he'd ever just served beef with a sauce, and that was yeah, it. Like, and even he just, couldn't believe it. Just he was like, meat "I just did it." Sauce. I just did it. Meat and sauce, mate. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was like that is incredible. And it does take a lot of bollocks. I love in a way. that. I love it. Regardless, there'll be people in your restaurant that when it sits down, they're going, "Wait a minute, is that it?" There will. Yeah. So it takes mm. a lot of bollocks to go. No, 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 trust me, that's all you need. You don't yeah. need anything more than just that. Just taste it. Yeah. But n- seeing Magnus and see him talk, I doubt he's a man that's too flustered by what people. <laughs> He ain't worried about what other people are saying, is he? He is, no. no, no. Like, no he's, I, I, he's secure and at peace with himself, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, uh, to be honest, because this is series one, so I watched this years ago, but I, had, I couldn't remember much about it. But watching it back, he's, he's quite a 
silent. He's not like a loud guy. Like if when he was talking through to his team about the food and about that carrot, he was frustrated with how they'd served yeah. the carrot. And then, but he, the way he did it was almost like a silent but deadly. Do, do you know what I mean? Like he's very yeah. sort of somber and a bit moody. Mm. The presence like, was there. He didn't need to shout. Oh and go God, yeah. yeah. Like he was a bit intimidating, and because he's mm. so bright as well. Sometimes it came across like fucking hell. I just ah, oh, it'd be stressful to be on the wrong side of him on a bad day. Like yeah. he doesn't look like a fun. He doesn't look fun. I can't imagine. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, oh, let's go for a pint, mate. Oh, go on. It'll be a laugh. It, it won't be a laugh. It will be really serious. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's. How, I mean, they might have been the cameras. I don't know, but he definitely came across quite a serious character. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it, he's one of those. Is wow the way he's just just he's bought things back. There's like him and Rene and things that have bought things back to proper Nordic cooking, um, and then you when you understand see these processes now that we always take for granted because they taste great like pickling and smoking and curing, um, but you remember that they were only done because we didn't have fridges. Yeah, yeah it was that, that was the only end. reason. It was like <laughs> let's let's just try and keep this for the yeah. maggots setting in a bit longer, and then. <laughs> You know, now he's yeah. combining that tradition with like high quality, um, mm-hmm. and just just serving things almost as they were intended or as they should. And then you know, he doesn't get any produce growing for five months. I know that is mad, isn't it? You know, we so, we as an island like us, we can't work like that. We'd be importing yeah. everything, but yeah. just very clever. So much pre-thought gone into it. Um, yeah, it's amazing to see something that that committed to it. Well, in some ways, it's a means to an end still then, because even though he like there's all the suppliers in the world that even for a restaurant like that, I'm sure he could go and get stuff and bring it back and must do in little ways. But he, you know, they like you said, they don't grow stuff for months on end, so we have to preserve if we want to maintain our standards. So it still is, you know, mm. a way around, a workaround almost. Like a, but uh, it's amazing that that doesn't then become a compromise. I think yeah. that's what's outstanding to me is like. Well, we had to pick or we had to preserve, we had to cure so that we could keep things going because we don't have stuff growing, but the quality never suffers. Like yeah. That must be, it must be stressful getting it to that point, but that is quite remarkable. Um, and I love that, like Aladdin, it, looked, it literally looked like a scene out of Lord of the Rings, that little like cave. Yeah. What do they call it? The root, it was the root something. The root store. The root cellar, that was it. Root cellar, that's it. Yeah, yeah. and it literally, I mean, it looked like an Aladdin's cave of pickling and it just looked like, oh my word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's lovely to to do it not just as a necessity, yeah, but do it do it for both reasons. Because the you know with the way the world is so like commercialized now, it'd just be easy to give in and go. Oh, we'll get we'll get some yeah. limes in, we'll get some lemons in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <coughs> no, and there's up? nothing wrong with that. No. What one of the other things that stood out to me about his kitchen was, yeah, it was quite quiet but also that he explained and i to be honest i don't really understand fully what he was talking about here so i don't know whether you'll be able to sort of like uh describe it better but basically he was saying the least experienced chefs are at the pass Mm -hmm. and the most experienced are in the back doing the work still yeah so in essence i think i get what that means in that normally you know say the head chef doesn't do any cooking he just stands at the front and checks everything over that's that's the general way you're the last point and you're checking um but the issue that sometimes comes with that if you are the last point checking and something's not right it's sometimes too late yeah 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. point, actually. And especially, but I mean, what they work in a very unique way, just from watching them and knowing about them. Anyway, they're not, you know, they they kind of do everything together. And he, he is still having a look at the end because it's only what twelve covers. Yeah. Um, 12 they'll do. Covers. There's more people do, in the kitchen than eating. I know. I don't How know is it making was. money? <laughs> just it's incredible it's good sorry it's yeah. strange business model yeah. like so they'll do the 12 crap and then it's not like table one crab away and table two beef away and then good they'll point. do the 12 beef and so yes he's in there cooking and his experienced chefs are cooking and then his his commie chefs or inexperienced chefs or stages they're getting the plates up getting them ready and very simple to dress but and then he's getting over and checking it as well yeah doesn't okay. he's a all round, it's a very different way of working. Does that sound like a desirable way to work? I, th- I think if you're working with a um, very small amount of covers like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah d- James, James Nappett at um, uh, Bubble Dog's Kitchen Table. It's like one of the best restaurants in London. I love it. And James, mm. legend, he got two stars, and he's like similar. He's 19 covers uh, round, like a it's a U shape. He's got like a hot dog bit in the front, which are great hot dogs, and then. <laughs> You go in the go in the back through this massive leather curtain. It's just yeah. this like beautiful U-shaped bench with like nineteen chairs around it, and the kitchen's in the middle of it. And then they do they awesome. do two sit-ins. So I think the first eight or nine sit at say half six, and then the rest sit a half an hour later. Yeah. But they'll do all of those courses together, all of those courses together, and the team just do it all together. And wow. it's brilliant okay. to watch. It's not like you're on the you're on the crab section because all he has is on the chalkboard he has the menu written up it's like crab turbot beef lobster that's it just one word yeah and everyone's kind of doing everything it's a pretty unique way of working obviously the techniques and everything that's going into it is far more sophisticated but that sounds better than like a pub like imagine a hundred cover pub where it's like right we've got one burger and this on this table and this like there even though the techniques phase it's just go right everyone guess what 20 of them they're all having cod let's all do the cod Like, yeah. It's like this that simple. I, I love it. It's that's it's just brilliant. It is, it is. It's a lovely way to work. You you just wouldn't be able to do it on big big covers yeah, really to execute it at that level. But you know, James has got it down to a T. I, I went there on my own and got drunk and just, just watching him <laughs> and the team just nice. all setting up every course together, doing every course and oh, finishing mate. them and James is right in there, his head chef Tom's right in there. They're just yeah, yeah that almost sounds like a better restaurant to go by yourself because you're, it's so interactive with the chef and you're watching. Like, oh yeah, I had a whale of time. Could, you could go there as a couple and just like not talk for ages because you're just watching what's going on. Like, yeah, it'd be so, so weird. weird. <laughs> yeah, I made friends with the people next to me. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just loving life. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, the oh, the other thing that struck me looking at them in the kitchen was it, that was one of the most intense clean downs I've ever seen. Yeah, jet wash in the kitchen is that common? A jet wash? Um, not the surfaces because you ha- you kind of um, to do that everything needs to be built in. Otherwise, you're just getting water in everywhere and it'd be a nightmare. If yeah, everything's built into the walls and the floors and there's no like bits underneath, you can yeah you can just do the whole jet lot and it makes it. life easier. Soap it, it all so down, satisfying. jet wash, clean it. Yeah, that looked re- it looked really satisfying, but it was just so... It was, like, excessive. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, oh, get a sponge. It was, like, chuck, like... It was, like, a ship. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just... that is, It was so intense, but it was so satisfying to watch. And I love that the the guys making this show, like, want to include those scenes. Mm. 
Like, yeah. it's just that is it. They don't have to, but I think they know that there's something satisfying about seeing these guys scrub down. It's just like and all the best kitchens do it. Yeah, all, all work like that. Yeah, I think it's a take, most taken for granted component, isn't it? Because oh, it is. Yeah, so many places I bet don't. Yeah. Um, one of yeah. the other one of the other things that struck me about him was when he was talking about his life at home because obviously this is where he grew up. But, and it sort of came, became full circle. And he obviously didn't have that fond of memories because he described it as, I tolerated living here. Mm. Jesus, mate. Depressing. Uh, <laughs> and then he went sort of around. He went to France for a bit. I, I love that story about how he was like two weeks. I just went in every day because I love what this guy was doing. And I just worked <laughs> for, for free just to get in the door. And then I ended up staying there for several years. Uh, and I thought that's cool. And I think, you know, I've that was one thing I related to because in the sort of uh, media industry and radio and that sort of thing, I don't know whether it's as much now, but definitely when I started out about 10 years ago, that is how it worked. Like mm. degree, you know, unless you were being a journalist, if, if you just wanted to be a producer or a presenter or do television work, you just worked for free. You just turned yeah. up for weeks and hoped that there'd be a job at the end of it. Show how keen you it was are. Always, mm. Yeah, and it was always this horrible song and dance with you and that person who was taking you under their wing of like, are they exploiting me? Are they not? Mm. You know, I am getting invaluable experience, but it is free labour. It's a really awkward... And I've heard it being talked about in the press a lot. Over, and certain industries, it just doesn't happen. And I've spoken to friends that cannot understand. They're like, that's awful. But then me going through that process, I'm like, no, 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 it's brilliant. Because it separated mm. the wheat from the chaff. You know, lo- the people that wanted it, wanted it, and they got in and they got the jobs because it was so desirable. And that, I really related to that when he talked about it. I was like, yeah, I bet you did. I bet you got a job that way because it just shows the boss how bad you want it. Exactly. I, I, I think it's great. It doesn't happen so much anymore. You read stories no, about, like, Marco in the 80s used to you know, t- turn up at, restaurants doors just and work for free until they employed it and yeah. there's always going to people be people out there that would take the piss and exploit people that will yeah. happen what, whatever happens yeah, but it, it does yeah. i've got you know so much so much time for that it proves that you want to do it and you do learn from it but it just doesn't happen anymore and mo- a lot of people in this industry don't understand it and i'll yeah. probably be shot down for saying it but i think it's great yeah no mm. i know it's well it's one of those things it's it's not black and white so yeah though if if it's allowed, people will exploit it. But also it sort of gives opportunities to people that really want it and are really good and and it just works. But it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult one, that. Um, but then, yeah, he talked about how he went, moving out of his parents' home was a pivotal point because he went straight to cooking school. And that actually I, prompted me to want to ask you about what that point in your career was like and because I, I, I wasn't I can't remember who talked about it but what age did you move out and was that straight into the world of food and where where did you go um, well I went to cookery school straight away but I was still living at home um, yeah because it was just the other side of Coventry uh-huh. um yeah nothing really nothing really changed it wasn't a pivotal time at all for me it was just I don't know I was just having fun with it it was good in the sense that um I was kind of found myself and what I wanted to do because like throughout school all the time I was always you know bottom to middle of class more out of disinterest really and <laughs> yeah lack of effort rather than ability <laughs> yeah it generally was apart from home ec I'd always do really well and um I, I'd had this idea from when I was 10 that I wanted to be a chef but I, ne- I never knew and you don't know until you didn't know um mm-hmm. it could have gone wrong but 
as soon as I went to college, I was just like top of the class all the time. And it was yeah. quite strange, you know, people coming to me to ask me things, like other students and stuff. And yeah, I think that was why I progressed quite quickly with yeah. it because it was just a strange dynamic that I wasn't used to. Do you have fond memories of cooking in school? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. It, um, I've got, you know, there's some lecturers now I still speak to. There's one who lives in Australia, a guy called uh-huh. Neil McCann. He, um, every time he comes back from Australia, he always comes to eat a salt. Oh, you know, even sweet. if he's nowhere near us in the UK, he flies up for lunch and stuff, and it's great. It's oh, great to catch so up with cool. him. But yeah, yeah. It, feel, it still feels weird now because I always looked up to him at, um, at college, and I, I wrote yeah. about him in my book actually because he uh-huh. was the first person to inspire me and get me into game because he went out shooting, bought all these mallards and pheasants in, and oh, most of the students cool. were like throwing up, and I'm <laughs> on there, hands up, it's ass pulling it's out. <laughs> roasting it and we couldn't serve it because we weren't allowed to so we just sat nibbling at it at the end of the and i was just blown away by it so i put put that in 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 my book but it feels weird because i looked up to him to call him neil now and he's not a chef lecturer anymore he's a lecturer in a college in australia um but like quite high up in it i think so he doesn't do catering but i still call him chef yeah, yeah he's like I'm not yeah, a chef now Paul yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know David Beckham now he's like 45 and anytime he sees Sir Alex Ferguson it's still alright gaffer so, so, like, yeah. Right, man, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just that that respect is instilled in you forever isn't it it is it is yeah yeah. yeah. well are there yeah. still like moments or like obviously techniques are they are embedded in you at cookery school aren't they but are there any like specific things that you still carry with you to this day that you learnt there like maybe more like obscure things that you think jesus actually yeah i still do that now um i think something i think some like butchery things because i remember grabbing those opportunities when i was at college because you know we didn't have a massive budget so we didn't get a lot of stuff in um yeah. so it was a lot of chicken butchery and like simple things like that but i remember yep. when they first got like a whole side of sirloin in with in, like all on the bone with a fillet on, you know, huge it was. Um, so what they started doing was putting steaks on in the restaurant at cost price. When we were going to eat them, it was like three quid for a sirloin wow. steak, eight ounces. It used to cost oh. like three quid then. So we'd go every lunch. <laughs> oh my word, I bet you did. Yeah. But we'd only get one, maybe two in a week. So only one yeah. student could do it. And I just remember having the confidence at the time to be like jumping on it. Like I wanted to learn that. Yeah. And then you'd do it with the lecturer. And then before you know it, you're doing them yourself. Um, stay with you yeah and some people stand back but yeah it's always stayed with me i was like do it the same way it's uh yeah i'm glad i took that opportunity and didn't stand back and was scared to do it yeah so when did you move out was it after cookery school was done and you got a job yeah i got a job in borsal common and it was i was again i was still at home then and then i moved out at 19 when i went mm-hmm. to le manoir oh, yeah wow yeah of course yeah, so that was quite. A were, you st- were you staying on site there, or uh, in or staff nearby? house? Staff, staff house. house, but it wasn't on site. It was right. in the village. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I did move back home again when I come and work around here. And then moved out again, and you're always back and forth with it. Really. Yeah, I suppose for a lot of chefs, actually, in those formative years when you're spending, you know, doing three month stints here or there, you mm. ne- you never really call a place your home for a while, do you? Not really, no, not really, no. Yeah, I never thought about staff it, houses, it's not, it's not a home. No. no. Student no. tricks, if anything. Oh, it's worse. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's too tired to clean. Yeah, another thing I was going to ask was um, when he, in the, in the documentary, there was like some frustration you could see there from um, from him about 
the idea of replicating other people's dishes. So when he was yeah. working in kitchens, uh, and he, he was quite scathing, I thought when he he was he was literally like, "There is nothing impressive about learning a technique someone else has shown you and replicating it." That is not impressive. He was really sort of a bit scathing yeah. about that idea. And, and actually, it's something I'd never thought of about when you are, say, working... I thought straight away about you working for SAT. Mm. Did you ever get to a stage when you were... Um, you'd been there for a while. You knew the menu sort of really well, but they were obviously all SAT's dishes. Was there ever a moment where... I don't want to say bored, but do you ever, did you ever feel unfulfilled that you were creating someone else's food? No, 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 never. No, I mean, I don't fully agree with what um, Magnus said in that. I, okay. I wanted to be an individual like a lot of chefs do, yeah. which I get, I get that part of what he's saying. But in terms of like using techniques that you've learned, what's the point learning them if you're never going to use those techniques again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it's more about molding and changing into to your own style. Otherwise, you, you may as well just not learn anything really yeah. um it's about you know like we've discussed before about directly copying and you yeah. know yeah there's a certain amount of influence That's like different. when i first went out after leaving sats it was you know i've been cooking a certain way for a certain certain amount of time and it's what what you know uh, you can't mm. just you'd be stupid to just try and start something completely different but it'd um, be really it, easy to get stuck stuck in that place is where you've been somewhere oh, so long that you've almost become institutionalized don't you like, like well that's how i have always done it so it's hard it's hard to break that that cycle yeah and, and you've also got to leave that you know it wasn't you know it's was a very creatively free place to work at sat so i i like other chefs would put a lot of dishes on the menu but you don't yeah. leave there and take them afterwards and be like well that was my, i created it when i was there so i'm taking it with me yeah. that's just you know like um like grant had said do, yeah. you know that's a mine now you know that's mine um, thank you <laughs> but my, my first menu when i started at tudnon mill there was definitely some you know heavily influenced by the things we were doing at sats there was no dishes that were the same yeah. but there was components and maybe you know some things you could Techniques, you could see yeah because yeah. i had to have a starting point and then very quickly you evolve um and I, I think it's important that you don't just try too quickly to be an individual yeah but you've got to balance that time, with a f- like not copying and yeah. you've just got to find your way and what suits your establishment your team what they can achieve and and ev- everything so else there is yeah do you know, it's um it's one thing I thought of, and um I don't know whether it is the same, but when um I remember when I was starting out in radio and podcasts and doing shows, and my boss at the time had been around the industry for years, super mm. experienced. He was one of those people that if you went to like a big exhibition, everyone there knows him. Yeah, um, he really knew his stuff. And I remember doing a session with him where I was showing him some tapes. I'm still calling them tapes. How old school is that? Of um, wannabe presenters or up and coming presenters that I thought were quite good. Um, and we were talking about their strengths and weaknesses. And he said something that st- that stuck with me so well, which was he wasn't being patronising, but he said, "Ah, oh, the problem is with this guy is that he's so young that he doesn't have any stories." Um, and I was like, "Okay, yeah." I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, yeah, he can have a perspective on or an opinion on things that are going on in the world. But there's an element of when you've been around the block a few times, you naturally, not only do you get wiser, but you're able to sort of like 
understand the world and relate to more people, the older you get. Maybe a bit of generalization, but it's, I think that that might be the same with food in that you it just so rarely can happen so soon because you need to have made a million mistakes and been around the block a few times and have got that experience. So you've got stories. So you've yeah. got stuff that's happened. Exactly. Like, and that, I think that's the exact same, what, what sort of he describes there about how it's pointless just replicating stuff. It's being able to learn techniques, but then evolve and learn and go further with it. Um, yeah, and, and you, yeah. you're right. You're totally right. What he said is, is perfect. It really sums it up. Um, like you just take Heston, for instance. Like He's self-taught. He did a week stage at Le Manoir, and the rest he's just taught himself. Yeah. So, yes, he opened up however many years ago you look at that menu he opened up with 20 odd years ago yeah to the menu now because of the mistakes and the stories and everything all the discoveries he's made and the things he's learned and how he's developed across that path You, you you need that starting point and what's magical about that is there's no substitute for it. It's just time and energy and effort and it's you've got to go yeah. through it to get there. It just doesn't yeah. And exactly. it's one of those things that probably creeps up on you that before you know it, you are there actually. Do you know what I mean? You're not there going counting down the days till I'm 30 to get to this. Yeah. You know, just suddenly right. you just end up being in a place, probably maybe when you open Salt or maybe the day you got a star where it just sort of goes, how did I actually get hit? Like it just sort of. Yeah, definitely been actually, there, yeah. What you won't have realised at that moment is all of the moments from working in California, New York, Le Manoir, Sats, the, the cookery school, the guy that lives in Australia, all of these t- tiny moments of all of those collections of things now present mm. themselves as you at Salt with a Star. And it's yeah. like, you can't, there's no substitute for all that time. Yeah, You have to exactly. go through it. It's exactly. sort of beautiful in a way. It um, is, yeah. Yeah, any other observations from the show? Any other little things you picked up? Yeah, it, it reminded me, and it, it again, like I know I was touched on it earlier about how I just love to go to a restaurant where it's just that's that's it. It reminded yeah. me of a restaurant I went to in wait for it, Benidorm. What? No, are you joking? Yeah. Well, um, my my cousin used to live in Alicante, and years ago I went out to see him with um, a skill I seen at the time, and we stayed with him. And he's a bit of a jack the lad and stuff. He took us into Benidorm for the day. And he's like, I know a lovely restaurant near here. And he's just outside. And I mean, there is a nice part to Benidorm. And there's a <laughs> right. there's a Benidorm part. Um, <laughs> but, and I was like, you know, knowing him. He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as I go with it, and he was like, honestly, it's amazing. You'll love it. It's right up okay. your street. Just And I was yeah. like, what to do? He's like, I'm not telling you anything. Just, just come and you'll right. love it. So we drove out of Benidorm and there's like mountains behind it. Went up into these mountains and like halfway up this little mountain or really, really big hill, whichever one you want to classify it as. <laughs> and it was like someone's home. And then you walked through and you you went out onto the balcony. They did about six, seven tables. That was it. Right. Um, went out onto this like balcony terrace area, just looking through these valleys, which the views were just like off yeah. the charts, like wow. incredible. And there was there was no menu. It wasn't like a gastronomic experience, but it's like one of the one of the top top five meals of my life. Because wow. just sat down, there's a little little Spanish guy, and he's like lamb, yes. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, red wine, uh, yeah. I don't uh, know what wine yes, it please. was. <laughs> didn't didn't ask, just red wine. And all he did, he would cook a whole lamb like some vegetables and potatoes, everything that was in season. And the lambs were all milling around in this like 
mountain area. I don't know if there is wow. or in Ictum or what, but <laughs> uh, just cook, cooked it whole. And, you know, some people would get different cuts to others, but it'd be put on the table with just this array of veg and potatoes, just really nicely tasty, well cooked. But this stunning view, in fact, I didn't know what I was getting and it was just this great experience. Wow, and I can re- cool. you know, just relate that in some way to this. Of that's, that is true hospitality to me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like mate, when you go around someone's house, it's yeah, taken you know, care of. You just you don't like you sit there, and that's all it. That's it. Yeah, you you're pop, not pop it down there. <laughs> um, and an R and over. Will I like that? Will I, oh, should should I go for that? Or you get that. You know, you're really hungry and you want everything. You don't want to yeah. choose. Or you're on a budget. So you're, oh, I want the yeah. lobster, but I might have to go for the jacket potato. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean, though. Yeah, absolutely. Stress free. Yeah. You've got all the time because you've traveled out there you're not popping into a high street place i've got to be gone in an hour yeah so you have to enjoy it like yeah, man. it's just the way it should be oh that is awesome i don't i yeah that i would have never especially your expectations would have been probably quite low because of where you were uh, yeah and that is that is amazing and i, oh, I cool. didn't fully trust him and his gastronomic <laughs> knowledge either so was he was he making you eat your words were you like oh yeah oh yeah it. Yeah, he kept reminding me about it for days. Yeah, oh, I bet. Like, yeah. No, fair play. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Are there many other places like Favacan um, that are so off-grid or bizarre or you've got to get a helicopter to get there? Or Are there many places like that in the world? Um, yeah, there are a few. I'm trying to think off my head, actually, where where there would be. But, I mean, not many that are that remote. Yeah. There's, a, there's a guy I know, actually... Um, I don't know much about his place because it's not open yet, but um, I know he used to work at Saps, not when I was there afterwards, a guy called Jack Cashmore. He's opening this place in New Zealand. And I'll have to send you a link. It, it, they're building it from from the ground up, it, right out in these hills. There's nothing wow. around it. So it just looks like this super purpose-built place just to have this Ooh, incredible experience. So yeah. no, I, I'll have to share it with you. It does look incredible what they're going to do. And I don't even know what it is, but you're just excited because it's that yeah. remote place that's, oh, you know, dude, you know yeah. and it's send good me, cook. Send me, so, yeah. send me a link. I'll be right up in that. What about Magnus? Do we know what's going on with him? And Because I know you mentioned to me the other day that Favacan's shut now. Yeah, um, so yeah, Favacan shut last year some point. And um, we... Yeah, he's. I heard he'd bought like an orchard or something. That may or may not be true. It may be a farm or something. Yeah. Um, that's just what's in my head. Um, still in Sweden. Still in Sweden, I think. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'd heard that he was going to do something, but I, I don't know. I don't know any details or anything. But it'd be interesting yeah. to see because it's it's one of those. It's not a regret. It's not the right word, but something. I feel like I've really missed out not going there. Now it doesn't yeah. exist. Oh, Same yeah. with Noma, the original Noma. Same with Al Bully. Though those places don't exist anymore, and they oh, were in our lifetime. Thing. And yeah. they're so special and unique. We've missed the boat there. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. That is, it's like, it's like forbidden fruit now, isn't it? It's like, oh, if mm. only I could have a little taste of what was going on there. And I suppose actually, for those people that have, like, and the fact it's closed, it's sort of preserved their memories of it because it's so special and unique and no one can ever go again it's like exactly that must make it so special for those that have yeah. been and can say they've been yeah exactly like we spoke before about where would like where would we have loved to have eaten that we can't and i remember saying harvey's but i can be at peace with that because i was too young i would never have gone yeah but these yeah. were in my lifetime as an adult and i yeah could have gone oh should have yeah. should have really could have 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, one of the only other observations I had, which is actually Haley's, and she said it right towards the end of the documentary, it really made me laugh, is he was just sort of stood in the kitchen over the pass, and she goes, his hair has not been tied up once. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. And then, Didn't and even then notice. She goes, and then she goes, and all the women, all of their hair's tied up, and they've got hats on. But he's just swanning around with his locks, like just like slopping in the sauce everywhere. Like it was, <laughs> it's a great point. And Didn't then, even I, notice that. In, in my mind, I was going down the rabbit hole of, or maybe it's you know, like when we talked to Curtis about how they were like, just leave the motorcycle helmet off for the sake of the documentary because you'll look badass. Maybe yeah. it was a bit of the documentary makers going right, just you know, leave the hair down. We want you to look like this Viking. When, well, now you say it, I don't think I've ever seen it any other way. Ooh. Like photos, other videos, everything I've watched about Favicon books, I don't think I've ever seen him without his hair down. Well, maybe they've got a low hygiene rating because of it. Well, I reckon the, the EHO are like, nah, that's too far. We ain't got the budget. Just give <laughs> yeah. them five stars. <laughs> yeah, he's probably like, I'll just keep my hair down. What are they going to go? Come and inspect me. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no way. They're coming all the way out here to test whether I've got a net on my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Awesome, so good. I mean, and and just like Chef's Table in general, isn't it? I know we've talked about it a lot, and we've done two of them now in Street Food last week, which are the same makers, but just the art of documentary making and just this, the overall feel of it is you get such a sense of the place, not just mm. the kitchen and, and the person that they're focusing on, but you feel like for that half an hour, 40 minutes, you are living and breathing that culture and that atmosphere. And yeah. especially this episode felt super meditative, just like the shots of him by the lake with his dog making some herbal tea or whatever he was doing and little things like feeding the cows in the field and the cre- sort of like crunch of the ice under his feet like it was just so beautifully put together wasn't it it is there's so many things you notice and then there's got to be so many subconscious things that that they do but there's never been a documentary in that i've ever known that has the power to really make yeah. you feel present there and it really does whether it's the street food stuff it like we said last week, like it makes you salivate. It makes yeah. you feel like you're there. It makes you feel like you're part of the culture and you're experiencing it. They're probably better than anything other than being there. Yeah. Do you like, know what? I was actually, you're so spot on. And it made me think, is there, a, is there someone out there that's, you know, it might cost a lot of money and I don't know how the hell it would work. But imagine a show shot like Chef's Table that you download or you, you have ready on your screen and then through your letterbox that day comes a little parcel of smells or food Mm. to eat or drink that you then eat, drink and smell along with the show. Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound too mental, does it? No, not really. It doesn't sound... I mean, imagine if you could do something like that. Like, that would be... And with Chef's Table, just imagine being able to try a bit of, like, a, a, you know, some cured vegetable at that point that they're opening the door of the root mm. thing and just yeah. actually can you imagine can you imagine yeah. that would be the most like 5d experience ever it would be oh. fucking amazing oh that would be wicked that would be wicked yeah <laughs> let's do it that's it <laughs> after nightcap's done we'll come up with some sort of like parcel <laughs> and tv show experience for everyone to enjoy that sounds amazing awesome. well yeah or you could even like get almost like in a, a cinema and then you deliver certain things at yeah. a certain point with everyone there. Yes, so yeah, we yes. Can do, mate, cut this out because we're giving our ideas away. Yeah, <laughs> right. This uh, uh, this is copyrighted uh, by <laughs> the Nightcap team. This is our idea. Uh, awesome, mate. Love it. 
Great one. Um, right, my turn to pick, I think, this week. Um, yes. I, I think I'm going to go back to a movie. Let's go back to a movie. Um, I'm going to go to a film I've not seen before, but I think okay. it got nominated for a lot of awards. 2009 right. it came out. Any guesses? Um, I'll no. give you a clue. The lead actress is the most nominated Oscar actress of all time. Most nominated actress of all time? Of all time, yeah. Um, I, th- I think I know, but I can't think of her name. Um, it, I'm thinking of the one, because I can't think of her name, the woman who was in... Is it the woman who's in Devil Wears Prada? Yeah. That one? Yeah. Exactly. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, yeah. What yeah, film Meryl Streep. So, uh, Julian Julia. So, with Julia Julian Childs. Julia? Yeah. Ah, right. With yes, Julia I've, Childs. I've heard of in it. It. Yeah. yeah. Ah, cool. What's that on then? It is on uh, Amazon for sure. Seven rating on IMDb. Uh, I'll double check, and when we release our video in the week, I'll let people know what platforms it's on. Oh, but I brilliant. think that'd be a really good, different one to do. Yeah, because uh, I've not seen that as well. So. Yeah, I've not seen it, but really critically acclaimed, so hopefully that'd be good. And Julia Childs is a bit of a legend, isn't she? She's like one of those... I think in America, she's like one of the most impersonated... She's got such a distinctive look and mm. voice. Yeah. That she's like done all the time over... I don't know what, like... You know, like how everyone does like David Dickinson and David Attenborough yeah. impressions in yeah. this country. I think like, <laughs> Julia Childs in America is like right up there as like impersonated. So I think that'd be awesome. Oh, cool. Wicked. Nice one, mate. Um, much more to report. A bit more cycling to do back under this week. Yeah, just more cycling. And we're just getting the restaurant opening. We're oh, yeah, going to announce the... it. I think, I think towards the end of this week, we're going to announce it and put the booking system up. But we're looking at the... Th- uh, about the 3rd of September. September. Awesome, yeah. 3rd of September. Cook, Do you feel excited well. or are you still a bit apprehensive about doing it? I'm just it enjoying under- my time off, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair Genu- enough. Genuinely. <laughs> no, it'd, be, it'd be nice to get back to it. I mean, I've been doing um, a bit of work anyway with the new project that we, you know about, but I'm not going to announce yet. Yeah, sure. Um, but, um, yeah, so... It's not, it's, easy, not the, it's not the cinema it. slash food idea we just talked about before. It's not that. It's a different one. Yeah, different idea. It's, already, it's already patent. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, so I've been easing back in. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't say excited, but not dreading it. I'm just... I don't know. I'm just quite present about I'm just enjoying this yeah. for what it is. We'll get back and we'll be as strong as ever. I think that's the best thing you can be during these times because... For so many people that have either been, either been furloughed or their restaurants are shut or whatever industry you're in, whatever hand you've been dealt, it's such a difficult time. That I think if you can just appreciate what you've got every day and just be present, like you say, yeah, you know the future will take care of itself a bit. You can't get too hung up on it right now because it's just so uncertain and it's out of our hands. So exactly, just I think that's great advice to people to be able to just every day just wake up, be grateful for stuff around you, and then go again. Yeah, exactly. All we can nice do. Nice one. Nice one, cool. buddy. Cool, look forward to this next one and we'll see you all next week. Cool, see you later, mate.